Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. Time now for the Outdoor Living and Gardening Show, presented by Preston Green, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Give the show a call at 502-8150-93.9. Now, here's your host, Steve Mercer. Well, good morning, Kentuckiana. It's a little chilly out there this morning, huh? Uh, You know, when I left the house this morning, I live out in Cox's Creek, which is North Nelson County. Uh, and uh, when I left the farm this morning, why, you know, I mean, you could tell it had been raining, but, uh, you know, there was no snow on the ground. By the time I got to the studio this morning, there was a dusting of snow on the ground. And I'm sure if I uh, 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 crossed the bridge over in Indiana uh, after I got out of the studio this morning, there'd probably be a lot more snow on the ground. And uh, so... Uh, it's amazing uh, what happens uh, when, when uh, you know, uh, just you know, the difference of a few, what a difference a few miles make uh, as far as the weather pattern. And, uh, and speaking of the weather pattern, um, I think I'm going to take a page out of Dr. Zeus this morning. And uh, there's a little there's a little ditty that goes like this. It's uh, well, will it rain? Will it snow? I live in Kentucky, so I do not know. It could rain, it could snow. It could rain and snow and blow. In Kentucky, you just never know. It could ice up, or it could be a crisp cold night. In Kentucky, our weather is always a delight. And and so we actually live in a transitional weather pattern. And that has significant impact on our weather here. And, uh, and, and so uh, a lot of the trees and shrubs, the native trees and shrubs here, if you pay attention, um, uh, there are certain things that do well here and certain things that do not. And, uh, and so paying attention to what the native trees are doing in our area can kind of give you a clue to our weather patterns because the native trees are kind of a reflection of our local weather patterns. And, um, and it's, uh, it's one of those kind of things that... Uh, um, uh, has a significant impact. Now, another thing uh, that has a significant impact uh, is UPS, believe it or not. Um, I was talking to a uh, professional in the greenhouse structure industry uh, this week, 
and they always are paying attention to weather patterns uh, to determine what kind of uh, structure or how how strong a structure needs to be built for the area they're building in and he made the comment that uh, that Louisville uh, was had kind of an anomaly weather pattern uh, to all the surrounding areas around it and and he didn't know why and I said well I know exactly why I said it's because of UPS you know when you put that much jet fuel up in the air landing and taking off as many planes as they do they've actually raised the temperature here in louisville several degrees and uh, that has an impact on our weather here um, later uh, earlier in the week they were forecasting uh, weather of like negative three you know for uh, monday morning when I checked the weather this morning, uh, now it's down to like eight degrees, not negative degrees. So um, uh, there are some serious impacts to our weather that are local in nature. Uh, and um, that also uh, um, um, rolls into your landscapes as well. Uh, we call them microclimates. And so even in your landscape, there are areas where uh, uh, the plants have a more protected area and uh, they're not exposed to as much extreme weather as other areas in the yard. And so um, being smart about where you place your tender plants in your garden uh, will have an impact on their survivability long term and uh, so that's uh, uh, something that you need to factor in when you're designing a garden and uh, um, also this week uh, uh, there there's kind of a thing here where as soon as the weatherman mentions the s word uh, then it's uh, it's like uh, all hands on deck to get to the grocery store to clean out the grocery uh, aisles. And, uh, and, and so uh, we experienced something similar to that this week. When the weatherman starts talking negative three degrees, uh, the phone starts ringing for firewood. And Mr. Rick Wood was a very popular guy this week. Uh, we had a surplus of uh, wood ready to go. And in four hours uh, after that announcement, uh, they had cleaned us out of our surplus. And, uh, of course, we'll have more firewood, of course. But it just goes to show you the power of the media and, you know, the motivations that happen when Mother Nature um, – potentially is getting ready to throw everybody a curveball it's amazing what happens when uh, when that happens and uh, <clears throat> so uh, never fear uh, we'll have uh, lots more firewood for next week uh, we've got uh, um, a few ricks to catch up on uh, you know on Monday and Tuesday but uh, after that we should be uh, um, right back in business and uh, and, uh, and and be in good shape. Um, 
We want to talk today a little bit about part two of our our, um, gardening design series uh, that we started last week. And um, whether you uh, talk about a garden design or a landscape design, you're you're basically talking the same thing. Uh, Different people call it different things. I think the more finesse uh, uh, um, term for it would be gardening design because um, whether you're designing a garden for the front of your house or the back of your house, um, it's all it, it, you know it's all still a garden and uh, and so um, we talked a little bit last week about some of the details on, designing a garden and and, uh, and 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 those were very important. Uh, one thing we want to talk a little bit about is ecosystems. Now uh, it helps to know how Mother Nature um, uh, grows her gardens because those are tried and true methods over millions of years. And so let's take for example, when you go down south, uh, as you're driving down south, what do you primarily see as you're driving uh, out on the interstate going south? Answer, pine trees. When you drive south in the spring, what do you primarily see in bloom? Azaleas and rhododendrons. Well, guess what? The azaleas and rhododendrons like to grow under the shade of a pine tree. Why? Well, when the pine tree drops its needles, it acidifies the soil. The the, uh, azaleas and rhododendrons, and hydrangeas too, they all like an acidic soil. So uh, if you want to have azaleas and rhododendrons in your in your yard. One way to make that very easy is to plant uh, um, several pine trees. <coughs> now, when those pine trees get up to some size and and start uh, providing some shade, you can limb them up about fifteen or twenty feet. And then plant your azaleas and rhododendrons and your hydrangeas under the shade of those pine trees. Now, what that'll do is it's kind of like one hand washes the other. And uh, the other thing that you see in, in that specific ecosystem are oak trees. And, um, and so what happens is uh, the oak trees in the fall will um, drop their leaves, and uh, some of those leaves will blow into underneath those pine trees. And, and what happens is there's a bacteria that gets on those oak leaves, and the water carries that bacteria into the soil. And it helps those azaleas and rhododendrons take up more water than what they can take up on their own. And so... Uh, your azaleas will just grow better if that happens. And this is something that has happened 
over millions of years and and continues to happen to this day. So understanding the ecosystem can be of great benefit when you're designing your garden. Um, if you're wanting to have a, a beautiful bed of azaleas and rhododendrons and hydrangeas, uh, you might start with uh, planting some pine trees in that area, and then later on, that opens the door to be able to come back and plant those azaleas and rhododendrons underneath the shade of those trees. Um, uh, there, in the past, there's been quite a few pine trees planted as a screen between uh, you and your next door neighbor. And uh, one of the ways that you can um, capitalize on those larger pine trees is just go in and limb up the, the limbs uh, facing your property uh, up about 15 or 20 foot or so on half the tree, leave the skirt of the tree all the way to the ground on the opposite side. So you'll still have your screen between you and your neighbor, and then you would have a place that you could go in and then plant your azaleas and rhododendrons uh, in, uh, in that area. And, and so you'll have a much more maintenance-free landscape if you do that because you're working with the uh, um, the ecosystem um, that that these plants are well suited to working together in, and, and so uh, that that's not just for that particular ecosystem. That's just one example. Now uh, we live in the temperate forest region and um, ecosystem, and so. Uh, in our in our native forest, uh, we have uh, two types of uh, ecosystems going on. Uh, we have um, the dry shade type uh, forest, and then we have the wet shade uh, type forest. Now, if you go over into uh, uh, eastern Kentucky, like over in the Red River Gorge area, you'll notice there are a lot of ferns on the ground and a lot of rhododendrons. And you'll notice that it seems to be, especially in the early mornings, you know, it seems to be a lot of moisture uh, in those forests. Whereas if you um, come around here, maybe go up into the Jefferson Memorial Forest, you'll notice that uh, those forests are pretty much dry shade. Um, not very wet uh, in there. Now, you know, if the dew falls, you know, it might uh, wet the leaves on the forest floor, but you don't see it's not wet enough to to grow ferns in that particular type of forest. And so <clears throat> understanding the ecosystem you're working with will help you in picking the plants uh, that you're going to install in your garden around your home. And uh, uh, picking the plants is both the fun part and also uh, the most difficult part of um, uh, doing your landscape design. Uh, and if you do that job correctly, then you will uh, have a situation where you have a lower maintenance landscape to deal with, 
uh, and uh, you'll have a landscape that uh, tends to be uh, hardier and and you don't have to replace as many plants on a regular basis because you're working with the ecosystem, not against it. Uh, and so <clears throat> this is a very important part of the design process and understanding uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Now, <clears throat> uh, we also have to be concerned uh, not only about what the plants want, uh, but what the purpose of the garden is going to be for the people who are enjoying in that garden. <clears throat> for example, you know, if you're entertaining people, then you're going to want probably a, a, a nice patio or a deck or a combination thereof so that people can gather and, and, uh, and meet. Now, if they're there uh, just for a party, uh, that might lend itself to an out outdoor bar, maybe a grill or an outdoor kitchen. Um, if they're going to sit down to eat, then that might lend itself to having a, uh, an outdoor dining room. Um, if you have a lounge area, uh, you might want to consider uh, an outdoor fireplace and uh, some shade over that lounge that could be in, the, in either a covered porch or it could be a louvered pergola um, uh, or it could be uh, just a heavy shade tree over that area. So <clears throat> understanding uh, uh, how you're going to use the space is one of the first key um, things that needs to be mapped out. And um, uh, don't forget the kids. The, the, and, and sometimes the adults want to play out in the yard. Uh, they might want a, a putting green. Uh, they might uh, want a pickleball court. Uh, they might, uh, um, they want, might want to have space in the yard to play uh, cornhole. I mean, so um, don't forget the play aspect um, of your yard and uh, what kind of space is going to be needed uh, not only for the kids to play but uh, any adult play that you might uh, like to do in your yard as well um, uh, uh, play also includes uh, 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 pools swimming pools swimming pools are a big um, can be a big aspect uh, to your outdoor living space and um, and so <clears throat> all these um, all these particular um, uh, aspects play in the design of your your garden. So <clears throat> um, we were talking last week about borders around the garden and along paths and around uh, buildings um, and that, that beds are, um, are, are defined as um, they're completely surrounded by uh, the lawn itself where borders are more uh, um, areas around uh, things like buildings um, or around swimming pools. 
or around other outdoor living areas, um, uh, decks or patios or whatnot. And, um, and so uh, the shape of these beds um, are led by the style of your garden. And, um, you know, uh, there's several different types of gardens. Uh, there's the formal garden. And we talked a little bit about this last week. You know, they have straight lines and uh, are, uh, have predominantly rectangular or square borders, um, sometimes even octagons for beds along uh, with circles. Um, for more informal gardens, think gently curvaceous borders. And, um, and uh, while beds might be circular, um, soft uh, teardrops are also uh, popular as well. So um, uh, there are, 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 you know, you have to kind of decide uh, uh, what type of garden you're designing for. Now, when you design your front garden on, your, on the front of your house, um, that's a more formal uh, garden. And so that's where you would more likely see uh, a more formal garden uh, design for your house. When you get to the backyard, um, then uh, that's more likely to be a more informal uh, garden design. And, and so uh, don't just think about the ornamental garden. Uh, uh, the vegetable garden is also uh, uh, another aspect of your garden design that needs to be considered. Now, <clears throat> there's been some blending of the vegetable garden uh, in our, our landscapes in the recent past. Uh, some people are now planting like blueberries as shrubbery uh, around the house and other vegetable plants um, in the landscape uh, around the house. And um, uh, so not only do they have <clears throat> some shrubbery, but they actually have some food benefit as well. So uh, that is one trend uh, that we have seen in, in garden gardening. Um, as far as your vegetable garden goes, <clears throat> there's some specific design aspects of a vegetable garden uh, that you need to be um, um, aware of. And, um, and that is um, because of the blight situations that we have here in Kentucky, um, we get a lot of southern tip blight that comes in from down south, and it rides in on the wind, and it attacks certain uh, vegetable plants in your garden, primarily uh, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, and potatoes. And so <clears throat> it's best to plant those four vegetables together in the same area of your garden and then you want to rotate those, those vegetables to a different spot in the garden and not plant it back in that original spot that you planted until four years later uh, because uh, the virus will get down in the ground and uh, that will 
uh, cause a, a, an earlier and earlier infection of your vegetable plants, and pretty soon you won't even be able to grow tomatoes in that area. So <clears throat> you need to rotate those vegetables to a different spot in your vegetable garden every year. Now, it's not just rotating the vegetable, uh, uh, those vegetables. It's also uh, cleaning your tillage tools before you till that area. And so if you're going to go in and do the heavy tillage uh, uh, with your tiller uh, in a new spot uh, uh, for those four vegetable plants for next year, you want to make sure you take a power washer and wash all that dirt off the underneath side of the tiller because more than likely that dirt is infected with the virus. And if you use that tiller in that area, you're just inoculating that area with the virus and and you're not accomplishing what you're trying to set out with um, with those vegetables. So this is one aspect that you have to take into account when you design your 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 vegetable garden space now whether <clears throat> whether you're using uh, raised beds or you're planting in the ground the the um, principles are the same uh, you either need to replace that soil that's in those raised beds completely uh, so that you can uh, uh, plant those tomatoes again in that same bed every year uh, or you need to rotate out those tomatoes and peppers uh, and eggplant to a different uh, bed uh, and not come back and grow them in that bed that you grew last year for uh, until four years from now. And so <clears throat> understanding that will determine how many raised beds you need and how big of a plot you need um, to um design your your vegetable garden um and um so um in your vegetable garden uh i like to have um two areas of the vegetable garden one in full sun and one that gets full sun in the morning but afternoon shade and that's because <clears throat> In certain summers uh, in our area, um, we get some really hot weather. Now, when tomatoes and peppers, uh, when the air temperature gets above 85 degrees, they will quit setting fruit. And so uh, if we have a real hot summer, you'll notice that suddenly your tomatoes and peppers will quit bearing. And if you just leave them alone and let them remain rather than pulling them out uh, to plant something else, what you'll find out is later in the fall when it starts to cool down, all of a sudden your tomatoes and peppers will start uh, bearing like crazy. And that's because it was too hot during the summer. So if you plant those plants in afternoon shade where they get morning sun but then they get afternoon shade that 15 degree drop in shade in the afternoon a lot of times is enough to uh, keep your tomatoes and peppers uh, continuing to bear fruit even in the hot summer so these are all design considerations 
<clears throat> that you need to take into consideration when you plan your garden. Uh, now, gardens aren't just for vegetable gardens or landscaping. Uh, there are also uh, specialty types of gardens like rain gardens. Now, <clears throat> if you have a, a, a ditch uh, um, on your property that's kind of an unsightly mess, it's hard to mow and whatnot, um, uh, you have the perfect opportunity to build what's called a rain garden. And uh, before we start talking about that, I think we're going to take our next, our first break. We'll be right back. Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. You're listening to the Outdoor Living and Gardening Show, presented by Preston Green, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Give the show a call at 502-8150-93.9. Now, here's your host, Steve Mercer. Well, we're back at Tuckiana, and we've been talking about uh, um, the um, designing uh, your your gardens, and this is the second in a two-part series and uh and so um, right before the break we were talking about uh rain gardens and their function in the landscape and basically their function is to kind of hold water back and uh i suspect that if more gardeners in the metro uh, louisville area would uh, build rain gardens uh, we would not see as high fees uh, uh, on our water bill from MSD because all the water that comes off of our property, um, MSD has to deal with. So they kind of charge you uh, for the water that's exiting your property. Now, a rain garden is one of the uh, is a great way uh, to uh, uh, collect that water. And basically, you pl- grow plants in that rain garden that will basically tolerate growing in water uh, for short periods of time. And, and so there are many plants that you can pick in that category of plants. They're, they're almost like bog plants. And uh, if you have an area of your garden that's difficult to mow to begin with and uh, because it's wet or because it – uh, um, holds water occasionally, you have the perfect place to create a rain garden. And uh, uh, another way to to deal with holding that water back 
has to do with the types of sidewalks and driveways that we poured that we that we use now uh, traditionally uh, everybody uses either a concrete or asphalt driveway and nobody really thinks uh, any uh, anything about that uh, but there is another option and it's called a permeable paver driveway and and that's where you go in and you lay uh, these plastic pavers down on a uh, a flowable rock bed with uh, with some drainage underneath of it, and uh, and then uh, you you compact that gravel and then you lay these pavers down on top of it, and then you uh, put some angular rock uh, inside those pavers, uh, and that serves as the surface for your driveway or sidewalk. Now. Uh, it don't just have to be plain uh, uh, limestone gravel. Uh, you could uh, put a uh, you know uh, a pink granite uh, uh, angular chip gravel uh, and uh, on as the surface to that, or you could use a green granite. Uh, there's there's all sorts of different colors you could use to do that. So you have the opportunity to have something different than everybody else in the neighborhood their driveways are either black from asphalt or they're concrete in color and uh, nobody really gives it a second thought but uh, this is a way that you can um, uh, jazz up the look of your driveway uh, and still uh, help hold some of that water back now in many cases in certain uh, municipalities within the city um, they have some specific rules on how much permeable surface area and how much impermeable surface area you're allowed on your property. And, and so where that becomes important is if later on you decide that you want to build a swimming pool. Well, all of a sudden, now we're talking about needing, you know, uh, some impermeable surfaces around the pool deck, uh, 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 around the pool on the pool deck, and if you've already used up all of your uh, impermeable surface area for the house and the deck and the patio, uh, you may not have in enough impermeable uh, uh, surface area left uh, to allow. A permit uh, for your swimming pool, uh, and uh, one way to uh, fix that problem is, uh, let's say you have a driveway that maybe it's uh, uh, you know already beginning to crack and break up a little bit. It might be time just to go in and replace that concrete driveway or whatnot with uh, with a permeable paver type driveway that frees up that impermeable surface area for use around your pool deck. So there are ways to um, work with uh, the permit laws in, in order to uh, build the, the outdoor living space uh, that you've always dreamed of. Uh, uh, but uh, currently you might've gone to code enforcement and they just said, absolutely not. You can't do that. You have too much, uh, um, impermeable space already and we're not going to give you a permit to do that uh, so um, this is one of the design considerations you have to consider 
when you're designing your gardens uh, uh, on your property. And the hardscapes, um, the pathways and the driveways and the sidewalks, they are a part of your, of your garden design. Uh, even the deck is a part of your garden design. Anything outside the house is considered part of that design. And, and so uh, uh, these are things that, uh, that uh, can uh, become a sticky situation down the road. And the best way to deal with those situations is to plan as much as possible ahead uh, uh, so that um, maybe, maybe you're not going to build a pool now, but maybe you're thinking down the road, you know, when the kids get a little older, you're going to, you know, you're going to have a swimming pool in the backyard. Um, so when you build your house, you may need to check with the local zoning laws to see, um, what the laws are in those regards. And you may, that may determine the type of driveway you build uh, from the get-go. Rather than having to tear up a driveway and put another one in, maybe you start with a, a permeable uh, a paver driveway uh, from the get-go. And that uh, keeps your powder dry so that when you go back to get your permit for your pool down the road, you've got enough permeable space left over uh, to be able to build that pool. Um, and, and so these are all uh, um, design considerations that you need to think about uh, before just starting to build stuff. Uh, now, when we're talking about uh, actually placing plants in the landscape, you want to think about your trees and evergreens uh, that'll make an impact year-round first. Uh, and then uh, uh, you want to think about your deciduous flowering shrubs. And lastly, you want to think about your perennials and your flowers. Consider both the shape and size of individual plants and where you plan uh, to use more than one specimen. Count on putting uh, in an odd number group if you're looking for a more natural effect uh, um, after the planting is complete. You know, Mother Nature doesn't plant things uh, in even numbers. Uh, most, 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 in most all cases, uh, she plants in odd numbers. And, and so um, uh, when you're planting, you need to consider planting in groups that are uh, odd numbers. Now, you want to decide on a palette of materials. Um, uh, uh, Selecting the right materials uh, can create a complementary style of the garden, whether it be modern or cottage, traditional or formal. Um, uh, these materials have an impact on the look of your garden. For, a, for example, a modern garden might include uh, porcelain and natural limestone uh, uh, patio ideas along with uh, concrete and metal and wood. Uh, more traditional gardens uh, would mix stone, brick, and gravel with wood, for example. Um, you want to consider the garden setting. Uh, use materials that already exist in your local area. This ensures your garden will sit comfortably in the surrounding landscape. Um, uh, choose the right uh, uh, um, 
when you choose your the landscape materials, uh, a good formula to stick to is using norm, no more than three uh, hardscaping materials. Um, and, and so, uh, 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 for a cool, minimal look, uh, these should be uh, neutral colors with a subtle touch of accent color and uh, materials such as black lumber, black timber or a feature of metal-like uh, Corton steel. Uh, for a more traditional look, uh, you might opt for reeking bricks and choose a warmer color palette. Uh, uh, you there don't forget your walls of your garden uh, you can plant uh, greenery in a in a vertical garden they're called vertical gardens uh, and plant on your walls uh, uh, you can also use large decorative pots uh, on top of a wall as accents you know if you're like if you're walking up from the yard uh, onto uh, a, a, like a raised patio or a deck, you might want to have two large uh, planters that uh, anchor the tops pillars of that uh, entrance uh, with uh, flowers draping down off of it as an as an accent accent point. Um, and um, you might choose brick of a similar shade to a colonial home. Uh, granite cobbles and pea stone uh, com uh, to complement a typical New England style house. Uh, slate or wood that echoes the material of a roof or decking that uh, repeats the horizontal wood siding of a house, for instance. Uh, make sure to um, design complements uh, uh, for the property, too. Uh, wherever possible, the style of the garden should complement the period and architecture of the house. Uh, and, uh, uh, for example, if you have a Victorian house, uh, installing a modern garden might look out of place in your backyard. Uh, so um, uh, you might fill your small urban courtyard with a cottage uh, garden planting uh, but it might look out of kelter if it's if you do that uh, um, when you have a Victorian home uh, um, the architecture will just um, make the garden look a little bit out of kelter um, think about the environmental impact of what you propose to use um, uh, we all need to do our part uh, to help mitigate the, the effects of climate change. Um, and the gardening world is perhaps one of the industries leading the charge on changing our habits to be more eco-friendly. Um, the mix of materials that is most eco-friendly to your area will depend on your climate uh, and uh, and so uh, uh, be sure to pick plants that uh, are native uh, or native vars we call them they're they're um, 
particular selections that the nursery growers have selected that are behave a little better than the native cultivars do, but still have a lot of the hardiness uh, still uh, within them um, like the native plants do. Uh, at the same time, um, um, uh, working with the, the precipitation of, of our climate um, ha also has an impact uh, and uh, will help. The more plants you have, uh, the more they will absorb uh, the pollution in our urban environment and uh, produce more oxygen and provide more shade to reduce the heat islands uh, in our city. Um, now, I'm a little bit in, in disagreement with how the city uh, uh, designed their ordinance with their, their city tree ordinance. Um, you know, on one hand, they complain about the heat islands in the city on the other hand, they allow uh, LG&E to come in and put their two cents into it and specify type 25 trees uh, underneath all the power lines uh, in the city. And, um, you know, uh, letting them have their say uh, is kind of like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. Um, and... Uh, and personally, um, if you look at our weather patterns and what causes power outages in our area, it's generally due to wind and rain, uh, or, or wind uh, and, and ice, I mean. Uh, and, and so what happens is the wind comes in, maybe the, the rain softens up the ground to begin with, and then the wind, high wind comes in, and next thing you know, you know there's big trees falling down, and when they fall, they take the power lines with them. Well, you know, uh, what if they just put all the power lines underground? Now, uh, you know, in some of the outlying subdivisions, that's exactly what they're doing right now. Instead of putting all those ugly power lines down through the neighborhood, they opted to put all their power lines underground, and you you know you'll have a transformer box, you know, in your front yard. But that's easy to hide, you know, with landscape material, uh, and and so you can go out and you can plant big shade trees between the the sidewalk and the street, and they will canopy over that that street and provide shade for that, that heat island and reduce the temperature. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of the city that is not designed that way. Now, I'm not advocating you go out there and do it all at one time, but is it not in the purview of our city government to provide long-term planning and, and, and set a goal and try to work towards it? What would be wrong with setting a goal of having all of our, our, our power lines underground uh, within the next 100 years? Uh, and uh, then that solves two problems. Number one, 
Uh, you don't have the power companies coming in and butchering the trees uh, where the power lines are. Uh, you have uh, trees that now can canopy over the heat islands and, and reduce the temperature within the city. And three, uh, uh, you increase the beauty of our city. You know, if you go downtown, I can take some pictures and, and post it on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook site, and show you some beautiful architecture downtown, but they got these ugly telephone poles out in front of it with power lines going every which way and transformers hung off of, you know, multiple transformers hung off of these power lines in front of this beautiful architecture. And the building might be a beautiful building, but the power lines make the whole thing ugly. And, uh, and so uh, this, is an, uh, this, is a, this is a case where somebody let the tail wag the dog. And uh, uh, we need to take our city back uh, 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 and we need to do some advanced planning and, and work towards a goal of putting our power lines underground uh, and, and so that uh, it doesn't, it's not so obtrusive uh, to um, uh, our, our beautiful city. And uh, that will reap benefits not only from a tourist perspective, but from a sustainability perspective, like, uh, you know, our weather patterns are getting more frequent and more violent. And so uh, one would expect to have more and more power outages as we move forward uh, in years to come. And, uh, and so what would be wrong with working towards a goal of putting all those power lines underground and having a more beautiful, uh, cooler city uh, with uh, a more resilient uh, energy grid to boot? I think that's a, think that's a valuable goal to achieve and it can be achieved uh, with the right leadership at, at our government level and uh, uh, every one of us here are a taxpayer and we all have a voice in our government and uh, it's time to get uh, uh, with our representatives and let them know how we feel about this uh, and, uh, and in the long run that will pay dividends for all the citizens of the city that we live in and we and we uh, cherish, and uh, and and so it doesn't have to be an either or kind of a thing. Why can't we work together uh, and and make uh, a more beautiful city that everybody wants to come and visit and live here? Um, I think that's I think that's a worthy goal to that can be achieved with the right leadership. Now, uh, let's talk about um, uh, um, garden proportions. Um, uh, planting a garden is an opportunity to create to correct some awkward proportions, uh, um, and uh, we're talking, for example. A long, narrow garden or an odd shape, such as a triangular plot. Um, if you know how to make a small garden look bigger, uh, I mean, if you want to know how to make a small garden look bigger, 
uh, divided into separate zones, which will give the illusion of a larger space. Use verticals such as tall, narrow trees, pergolas, uh, garden walls too, which can distract from the boundaries and give an eye plenty of uh, plenty to appreciate. Um, beware of thinking uh, the design needs to be uh, as uncluttered as possible when the garden is small. If you clean uh, your garden of everything, then when you look at it, you see everything all at once, and this makes it feel smaller. Uh, so if you design the correct scale and the number of things such as raised garden bed ideas into the space, then as you look at the garden, your eye can't instantly see the back and the, the, uh, of the garden and flits from object to object. And this fools your brain into seeing the space as larger than it really is. It also looks more interesting and attractive. For a long, narrow garden, the key is to avoid the gaze being drawn straight to the end. So dividing the space into perhaps three square smaller zones uh, with distinct features can, can divert the viewer to different aspects of the garden uh, uh, or, or alternatively, you can do an S or a zigzag uh, design uh, through the garden and achieve a similar result. Um, if you have a triangle or other odd shape, um, that can easily lend itself to breaking up into different areas uh, that may be round or rectangular. If the garden does have a sharp point that's difficult to deal with, this could be screened off and used for a compost heap or storage or planted with a, a feature tree, for example. Um, uh, linking individual spaces together with pivot devices uh, uh, and using smaller transitional space between two large areas allow you to change the direction of the axis or the geometry. And, uh, and uh, these smaller spaces can also be celebrated in their own right with a piece of sculpture, a large pot, or some other feature uh, to um, center your attention on. Uh, now, uh, that brings us to another uh, design aspect, and that is how to create interest in a garden. Uh, sensory gardens with a range of color shape and texture are extremely popular and pleasing to the eye. Um, for example, in a Chinese garden, uh, they attempt to uh, stimulate all five senses uh, of, of the landscape. Of your, uh, so uh, you might have a pea gravel pathway, but uh, uh, more of the concrete has been brushed out of it so that those pea gravels stand up and massage your bare feet as you walk through the garden. Uh, you might have um, things like lilac trees that are, are shrubs that are highly fragrant that stimulate your, um, your olfactory senses. Uh, beautiful flowers to uh, um, um, uh, uh, catch your 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 eye with, 
Um, so there are many ways to to uh, create a sensory garden, and probably the Chinese have 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 uh, done that probably the best of any uh, uh, of the gardens I've seen uh, to date, um, and um, and so. Uh, when you create a sensory garden, uh, break your foliage down into groups of textures. Large leaves such as hostas and uh, whatnot uh, are a great uh, example of that. And, uh, and there are many other examples of it as well. Well, we are out of time for today. And uh, I hope you will uh, have enjoyed our show today and found something you can use at it uh, in your own uh, garden. If you have any garden designs you need to do or whatnot, why, please give us a call. Uh, We do those on a daily basis. Have a great week, Louisville. Come see us.